I was given the task of thinking about uh, a particular character in the Bible. Now, if I'd have been given the choice, it wouldn't have been the choice of the one that I got. <laughs> and actually, it, I think it's the first time I've ever been asked to speak on uh, this particular character. Um, Judas Iscariot. Um, so it's a bit of an odd one, really, uh, in as much as usually we talk about the heroes of faith. And perhaps today we're going to look at a bit more in depth uh, somebody that's quite often considered one of the villains. So let's hear uh, from God's word. Uh, and Pam and Sue are going to bring up uh, God's word for us. First reading is Acts 1, verses 15 to 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Jesus bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and... May another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. And the second reading is from Galatians 5, verse 16 to 26. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word and we've heard your truth, speak into our hearts now. Holy Spirit, open your word to us now. Help us to be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get to talk about Judas. Well, a fairly minor character, I guess, in some respects, in as much as he doesn't get very many paragraphs in the, uh, in, in the Gospels, but he has a huge impact on the course of, uh, of the Gospel narrative, of how things move. A huge impact. And we'll look a bit, first of all, at the story of Judas as we know it, as, as we have recorded to us in the Gospels. We'll look at that. <coughs> and then see what we can do to pick out something from that that will help us today. So, we're going to have our picture. Judas. And I put, take a chance on me. Not that I'm a particular Abba fan, but um, that's sort of his story. That sort of is the catchphrase, if you like. If you wanted to sum up Judas's life, is that God had taken a chance on him. But we'll look at that in a minute. So we have our first uh, picture up here. Here he is, looking a bit shifty. It's always how he's painted, looking a bit shifty. Judas, I guess, is always seen as the, as, as the, the shifty character. Can't really trust him. He's a bit, ooh, a bit of a geezer. But he was one of the 12. And that's one of the things we have to keep in mind, that actually he was part of Jesus' close-knit group of missionaries, his apostles, he, the people, the disciples that followed Jesus through the storms, through the feeding of the 5,000, through all that sort of stuff. Judas was in the midst of it. Judas was in the middle of all that stuff. He heard the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, we think. He would have been around for, uh, for, for the rest of Jesus' teaching. He'd have seen some of the miracles that went on. He'd have seen Jesus uh, talking uh, in, in various places. He'd have experienced the love and the grace and the goodness of Jesus. That's Judas. The one that we think is a bit shady. Now, the Latin name Iscariot, and I, I'm, I'm prepared to be challenged here by those who know, <laughs> apparently means either the man of Kerioth, and that's Kerioth down there. Uh, you can see Jerusalem and the Sea of Galilee up the top. Um, that's sort of Israel as we know it today. Kerioth was down at the south there. Man of Kerioth. Or possibly in Latin, for those who like this sort of stuff, uh, Sicarius, which has a slightly darker meaning. It could mean murderer or assassin. Now, we have to be careful because 
whilst it could be that, it might not be. And that might be that he's been tarred with that brush, that he's got that name afterwards, that somebody's given him that because it sort of fits. You just have to be a bit careful with that. The most likely option, I think, is that the first option, that his name, as far as we know, his father's name was also was Simon Iscariot. So it probably is that it means he's a man from Kerioth, from the south. Judas simply means praised. It's quite a nice name, really. We sort of associate the name Judas as a, as a nasty name, but actually it means praised. Now, Judas was a bit of an outsider, a lot of Jesus' followers were Galileans. They were from the, from the north, from up north. Judas was a bit like me, I guess. He's from down south. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> he was a southerner. So he was a bit of an outsider from the start. He probably didn't have the same accent as those that he hung around with. He probably uh, had different ideas about stuff um, and maybe... Uh, had a different experience of life than the others. He was also given a job amongst the disciples. And if you think of a shady character, the least likely job you're going to give a shady character is that of church treasurer. You usually choose somebody who's, who's wonderfully upstanding and absolutely trustworthy, as you've done here. Yet Judas was chosen as among the twelve as the group's treasurer, the holder of the purse. In paintings of the disciples, he's often the one without a halo. So if you look at a picture of all the disciples, especially those old paintings from you know, medieval times and that, where, where they all have these great yellow halos, often Judas isn't given one. Or, and I think this is slightly worse, he's given a dark one. So he marks him out as, ooh, not great. And we know that people use the term, even today, even if they don't know where it's come from, if somebody who has done something wrong or more likely has, has turned against somebody, they describe somebody who's a betrayer as, you're a Judas. And we hear that, particularly now. I mean, I guess that's what a lot of people are being called in Westminster. Wherever you stand on the big debate that's going on, there are various bits of those parties where people are being called Judas, and it's not. A great thing, it's somebody who's a betrayer, somebody who turns against what they believe to be right. <clears throat> so it seems that whenever we meet Judas in the Bible, he is the villain. He's the one who is the shady character, the one that we can't quite trust. We wonder what his, uh, what his reason for following Jesus is. So we're going to have a look at some of those times where G Judas appears in the, the gospel stories. Now, the first one <coughs> is the woman who anoints Jesus with the perfume. You know, she, she, she has this really expensive perfume, pure nard, and she, she lavishes it on Jesus uh, as a sign of an offering to him. It was like weeks, you know, wages and uh, hundreds of pounds worth of perfume. She pours on Jesus' feet and anoints him with it. Judas, as we see him there, we think that's him there, with the, sort of talking to Jesus. 
Judas is, is saying, what a waste. Look what she's done. She's thrown all that perfume, which in Judas' minds means money, all over your feet, and it's all gone. All we've got left is the smell. And Jesus, you've got some lovely, clean, perfumed feet. What a waste. Now, he says, it's such a waste, you could have given that money to the poor. But is that what his heart was saying? He knew that's what Jesus perhaps wanted to hear. There's a reason for me saying that's a waste. It was because you could have spent the money on the poor. Yet Jesus, it says, knew his heart. And actually, what he really wanted to do was pocket the money himself. That's what it says. It says he wanted the money for himself because he was the group's treasurer. What his heart was about was not about the poor. It was not about the blessing and the anointing and the worship that that woman who'd given her all and fell before Jesus. His heart was about, what do I get out of this? What do I gain? How can I pocket a few coins from this? We see him again next time along. And it involves money again. Judas, it seems, had a weakness. Well, perhaps more than one. But certainly his weakness was money. Now, we don't know his backstory. There may have been a reason for that. He may have had somebody at home that needed some care and he needed to pay for it. We don't know. I'm making that up. More likely, from what we gather from the gospel stories, is he wanted to be rich himself. He wanted a position of power and authority, and that would have been gained through having money. So we know this story, perhaps you know the story of the 30 pieces of silver. Judas is given an opportunity by those who want to trick and trap Jesus and arrest him. Judas sells out his friend to the chief priests. Now, Judas, I don't think, had quite worked out where all that would lead. We get the impression that he hadn't quite worked out where his actions would lead to. The 30 pieces of silver were as fulfillment of prophecy. It says, it's in Zechariah 11 and Jeremiah 19. It says, he will be sold for the price of a slave. He will be given up for the price of a slave. And the price of a slave was about 30 pieces of silver in those days. But we also see, as Judas takes the money, Judas has a pang of remorse. Because afterwards, he wants to give the money back. He goes back to them and says, I've made a huge mistake. You can have your money back. I don't want the money. There's something in Judas that realises what he's done wasn't the right thing. But it's too late. The, the, the stone is rolling. The thing's happening. We're heading down that tunnel to the cross and nothing is going to stop it. Then we see Judas at the Last Supper. He dips his bread. 
There's this sign where it says, the one who will betray me, Jesus says, is the one who dips his bread in the same bowl as me. And all the disciples, as we would, were saying, well, it wouldn't be me. Of course it wouldn't be me. Is it me? I don't think it would be me. But Judas does that. He dips his bread into the bowl. And then the Bible says, Satan takes hold of him. The devil takes hold of him and takes him outside to betray Jesus. So he goes off, we believe, to find the chief priests and the temple guards so that they can carry on the story, which we'll look at in a minute. <coughs> so Ju- the, the devil is working within Judas. There's still a chance that Judas would have said, I hear that voice that's telling me to do this, but I'm going to not do it. But he goes off and he does it. So the next time we see Judas is in the Garden of Gethsemane with the temple guards, with some of the chief priests, with the disciples as well. And Judas kisses Jesus, which is a sign of friendship, but also brings betrayal. And I guess that summarizes Judas' life that on the face of it, he was friends with Jesus, a close friend, close enough to go and kiss him. And yet underneath, there was a betrayal. Judas kisses Jesus, which leads to Jesus' arrest, leads to Jesus being taken before the authorities, being backwards and forwards between the trials which could find no guilt in him, leads him to be flogged and placed with a crown of thorns on his head, ultimately leads him to the cross to die for us. Judas' kiss is the beginning of that story. Now Judas comes to a sticky end, literally. Sadly, he's filled with guilt. Sadly, he hangs himself. We think. The, the, the Bible's not absolutely clear, but that's, that's, that's a tradition we believe, that he hangs himself. And then, then in that sort of horrible histories bit of the, the Bible, it says all his intestines spilled out, which is a horrible picture. When we die, however we die, we want to be remembered as somebody who was good and pleasant, Very few funerals you go to where you hear somebody say, well, actually, he was a bit of a rogue. Although, I suppose, if you went to somebody like the Cray Twins funeral, there's a story about that. It's just reminded me. (laughs) Probably no relevance to it, but but, uh, at the Cray Twins funeral, the vicar was there, the priest, and he said, uh, you've got to say something nice about Ronnie. And the vicar was thinking, well, how do I do that? got to say something nice about Ronnie and he said ah so at the funeral he says well he was good to his mother that's all he could come up with Judas was a bit the same there wasn't much that people would remember him for that was positive and the guilt overwhelmed him and, and sadly we find in our world today that there are a lot of young men who 
commit suicide, particularly young men. And some of that is down to guilt. It's guilt for not achieving what they could have achieved. It's guilt for the stuff that they, that, that they get themselves into. It's guilt for trouble that they found themselves in. And it's just a, maybe a hopelessness because their lives are not the, up to the expectations of others. And although that's a slight aside, it is the truth that we need to support and care for our young men because there are those out there that need that support and care. But that's another story. What we want to do, and maybe to try and get some hope out of this, because at the moment, are you feeling a bit hopeless? Is this feeling a bit grim? This story is not a great story. There isn't a massive, overwhelming feeling of joy from hearing Judas's story. So where is the grace in the story of Judas? Well, the first thing I think that we can take from this story is that Jesus was prepared to give Judas a go. That we are all fallen human beings. That's the state we are. Like Judas, none of us is perfect. We may not have the amount of crimes and things ratcheted up that, that Judas had, but we still sometimes ignore and deny Jesus. We sometimes get it wrong. We seek our own way of doing things. There's that great long list in that passage from Galatians. Not that we could probably tick them off, but, you know, there's the sinful desires, what is contrary to the Spirit. That's what we sometimes have ourselves. And yet Jesus was prepared to give Judas a go, to be part of his inner crowd. He was prepared to let him be part of the possible mission future for the new church that was going to be birthed out of the, the resurrection of Jesus. Judas was part of that team. And I think that gives us some hope. Because we all get it wrong sometimes. Sometimes we even wonder why God has called us into this messy thing called the church. Why has he called us to be part of his crowd? Why does Jesus even love us when we are so bad sometimes and get it so horribly wrong? Yet he does. And when we think about that, that's amazing grace. That God is prepared to give us a go. I'm so pleased about that. <laughs> I'm so pleased that he trusts, he's prepared to put the trust and the hope of the kingdom of God, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he, he trusts us with it. It's brilliant. The second thing we can take from this is Judas had the chance to repent. In his time of guilt, he had the opportunity, and before that, when he realised he possibly made a mistake, when he had that gold, that silver in his hands, he had the chance to repent. Repent is the word that means U-turn. It means turning around, going away from the evil one, turning against Satan, and moving to the Lord God. It means turning around, facing the other direction. He had the chance to do that. But sometimes we don't. 
We're, we're similar to Judas. We realize that the path we're on is leading down a bad road, yet we don't quite know how to stop it. And sometimes when we go and do the wrong thing, we don't often, sometimes we don't say sorry for it. But God always offers us that opportunity to say sorry, to repent, to turn back to him. That's what the cross was all about, was that Jesus was showing us the way that brings restoration with God the Father through the forgiveness of our sins. But sometimes we get so fixed that we can't change our minds. We want to do it our way. We won't turn around, even though we're being told by God, you need to change course here, mate. Yet we think we've got it right. Here's an example in a little film clip, which you may have seen before, but it's a good one anyway. (laughs) We have the opportunity to do the right thing, to turn around, and we know it will bring a catastrophe if we don't. That's what God offers us. He offered Judas that chance, and we see there's a chance to repent. Peter, the apostle Peter, we see him get it wrong, deny Jesus three times, at <laughs> the same time as Judas was betraying Jesus, Judas was doing, uh, Peter was doing the same thing. And yet, he gets it right. He's restored. He asks for forgiveness from Jesus. He says, I'm sorry, I do love you, Lord. I got it wrong. And as we know, Peter was one of the greatest uh, people in the early church, starting out the church. So Judas had the chance to repent. We all have that chance to repent. Even though we get it wrong, God offers us a way to be reconciled, to bring brought back to him. And the third thing we can bring from this story, I think, is God's purposes continued. That even though Judas got it wrong, horribly wrong, God's purposes continued. Sometimes when we get it wrong, and sometimes this stops us doing stuff, because we get fearful that if I get it wrong, the whole kingdom of God will come crashing down around me. When God puts something or something on our hearts and we get an idea, we don't go for it because we think we're going to break it. We're going to break the world. Somehow the church will collapse because we follow something. Well, if we get it wrong, we've got the chance to repent. Now, obviously, we don't want to go around doing silly things, things that that are not within uh, what God would tell us to do in Scripture. But if it involves love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, it says against these things there is no law. Give it a go. Give it a chance. You can't break something. And even if we do, God's purposes will continue. Through the history of this church, probably before, as I said, 1662, there will have been ups and downs. Every church has them. And it will continue to have ups and downs into the future until Jesus comes again. Because we're human beings and we mess it up, but God's purposes continue. And that's true in our lives too. We do mess it up sometimes, but God's purposes continue. After they... Judas had died, (coughs) they elected Matthias. They sought the Spirit. The Spirit of God came on them. They picked the lot that was was Matthias. Then they went into Jerusalem. They prayed their hearts out, 
and the Holy Spirit came in fire on them and birthed the church. God's purposes continued. We wouldn't be here now if God's purposes hadn't continued. We have the opportunity, even within the midst of the messed up thing called church, that God's purposes will continue. But we have to remember when we do mess up, when we recognise that, that we repent, that we turn back to God, we we say sorry, and then we move on in the power of the Spirit. Because that's what we're called to do. So out of a story that seems graceless and grim, we see glimpses of grace and glory. Because even though we mess up, God can still forgive us and his purposes continue. Let's pray. Lord God, we are just so thankful that you are a God of grace. And that even though sometimes we mess up through the blood and the saving, wonderful grace of your son who gave his life for us on the cross, we are restored. Help us not to forget that we can come to you again and again. We pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit Take us from the temptation to do wrong, to do evil. We pray that you will take us away from that list of the terrible things that we can do and be delivered into the fruit of the Spirit. May our lives this week reflect your goodness, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your joy, your love, your faithfulness, your gentleness and your self-control. May we know that when we mess up, we can come back to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.